If you are praying, um, I, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, if you don't know what they're talking about. I, uh, I have a uh, meeting with the oncologist on Monday. I could uh, use your prayers for because we map out the treatment. And Wednesday I get a h- hormone shot, so if I'm PMSing on Thursday, <laughs> you laugh, but I'm already kind of an emotional character. So this, this could be something, right? This could be a real adventure. Oh, Lord, here we go. But, but like my daughter, I, my goal is to be a cancer survivor like Abby is. So we're going to pray for that, right? We're going to pray. And we're going to see that happen. The notes are somewhere in this green sheet. Uh, we are living in unique times. And I was praying the other day that this is no time to wonder if you're a Christian or not. This is no time to be in the middle of the road. Joshua said it this way. He drew a line. He said, choose this day who you're going to serve. Either you're going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve yourselves. But as for me and my house, Joshua said, we're going we're to serve the Lord. And Christian, people call themselves Christians all the time. And some of that is more cultural Christianity than the real deal. So I'm going to tell you that tonight and next Saturday night, We're going to look at what Paul says, and what Paul really wants to get across here is that that there there are signs, there are significant things that should happen in people who say that they're Christians. If Jesus lives in you, there should be transformation. There should be a sign that that even though we fall on our face sometimes, uh, the difference is is that you, you, you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you want to get it right. Does that make sense? And versus you can go 40 years without even a tear shed. Like, what am I doing? Nothing. So, so I want to look at that tonight. And at the end of this service and next week, we're definitely going to give you an opportunity that if you are not sure whether you're a Christian or not, and one of the questions is, if you were to die right now, would you be going to heaven? See, that's, that's a question that should be answered. Yes. Not based on your works, not based on how, whether your good outweighs your bad. Because the only way to heaven is through Jesus and a relationship with him. So tonight and next week, we're going to give you an opportunity. If you know somebody who, you know, just needs to kind of think through this, well, then maybe you don't want to come by yourself next week. Just bring somebody, okay? Or if you're watching online, maybe you don't want to watch by yourself. But... We're going to start in 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, What kind of Christian are you? Paul is dealing with a divided church. This church at Corinth, we would not say is a healthy church. Uh, They are definitely having many problems. The Jews and the saved Gentiles couldn't get along. They were having some run-ins with one another. Uh, There was persecution happening, which made some Christians okay to be a Christian while they were with other believers, but once they were out in, in the world, they wanted, they wanted to play secret agent. Does that make sense? Because they wanted no part of persecution. And the Corinth culture, the Corinthian culture was, was, you think we're bad? You haven't seen anything yet. That culture was corrupt and, and just morally misguided more than any other. And as the lights kind of are dimming in our own culture, this is no time to become discombobulated, you know what I'm saying? We need to make sure that we know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you know for sure he knows you. And, and rather than somehow play both sides, if it means that you're going to have to stand on your faith, even though it goes against the crowd, that I want you to be able to do that. My prayer for all of you is that, is that no matter what happens, you're going to love Jesus and he's going to love you, and, and no matter what happens on this side of heaven, your, your testimony, your heart for the Lord is what's going to be, you know, the, the thing celebrated when it's all said and done. Okay? Amen? So, to begin with, uh, we talked about Thessalonica the last time. Well, that was a growing church, but Corinth was a defiled church. A defiled church. Some of its members, and this is the thing, they were members of the body, not sure if they were members of of the real church, 
because they were literally, literally sexual immorality was running rampant, not out there, but where? In the church. Uh, incest, not out there, but in the church. Uh, you think about, uh, you know, communion. We're going to do communion tonight. Well, they didn't have this little cup. They had a steady supply of wine, and many of the individuals couldn't wait for the next celebration of the Lord's Supper because they got tanked. They were drunk, like drunken sailors, and that's hard to imagine, but that's what was happening during the communion service. And so, and so not only were they a defiled church, they were a divided church. They did not get along. We talked about it last week, that one of their divisions, one of the things that divided them, was that everybody was proud of their little camp they were part of. Some said, we follow Apollos, Apollos camp. The others said, well, we don't follow Apollos, we're the Peter's camp. You know, we're, we're the Apostle Peter's camp. Some followed Paul, very few, but there were some who actually gave Paul the benefit of the doubt. And then there was the super spiritual group who said, well, we just follow Jesus, which means you can't tell me what to do, only he can. And unless he tells me, I can keep doing what I want to do. All right, so this wasn't a spiritual follower of Jesus. This was an excuse. Does that make sense? That, that takes the accountability away, that nobody had the right to tell him what to do unless it came from Jesus, all right? So it was a divided church. It was also a disgraced church. Uh, they did not glorify God. They hindered. Sometimes, I hate to tell you this, but you're the only Jesus some people will ever see. And if they don't see Jesus in you, then you're the only reason somebody might walk away. And what the so-called believers were doing by their lifestyle, they showed that there was no difference. No difference whatsoever. And, 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 and yet they, they wore the name of Christ uh, as a label, but they're living was anything but Christ-like, all right? So defiled church, divided church, disgraced church. Well, how did this happen? It always happens when you get a little too relaxed about sin. And you know what? I'm not talking about legalistic. We're only going to have perfect people here because there are no perfect people allowed. But there are people who use this as an excuse that I, you know, I, I go to, you know, I go into church. I'll meet with people on the weekends, maybe Wednesday night, but the rest of the week is mine, baby. And I know a lot of people used to tell me I would party hardy on Saturday night as long as I went to confession Sunday morning and hit mass. Everything was cool. Well, everything's not cool because, in a way, that's more of a disgrace. I can almost hear God say, "Call yourself something else," because you're not just hurting. You're not just hurting your reputation, you're hurting my name, all right? So, so when the sin of the city starts to pollute the society of believers, we have a problem. And Corinth was a polluted city. It was filled with every kind of vice, times five worse than normal, <laughs> and every worldly pleasure. And I said to this last time when we talked, you want to insult somebody, call them a Corinthian. Because to call somebody a Corinthian was great insult. Because you're basically calling them, you know, a, a, a sinful, loving dog. Because to be called a Corinthian was not a compliment in any way, shape, or form. Corinth, though, was also a proud city. You know, sometimes when you know too much up here, it does affect what you'll receive here. You know what I mean? And, and, and that was happening there. Um, the congregation was made up of so many different schools of thought, and they were not united. And if there's anything that's going to be bringing us together, family, it's not that we all agree on the, 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 the color of the chairs or, or the paint on the walls. The only thing that's ever going to bring the church together is we come together under Jesus. All right? Jesus must be first. Now, Here's a little insight. I'd like to give you these little tidbits. Paul wrote the Roman epistle while he was in Corinth. Paul wrote the Roman epistle while he's in Corinth. And so I'm going to read to you Romans 1, 18 to 32. It's going to be up there. I'm going to read this passage of scripture because let God speak for himself. But if you want to know what Corinth was like, read Romans 1, 18, 32, 18 to 32. Because literally, as Paul was writing the letter to the Corinthians, he was, 
as, as Paul was writing a letter to the Romans, he was looking out his window and saw it all right before his very eyes. All right, nothing was hid. This wasn't just a nighttime city of sin. This was daytime. They, they, they spread it around, all right? So let me read to you from Romans 1, 18 to 32. If you want to know what Corinth was like, here we go. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to him, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been, look what it says, clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that the people are without excuse. If you've ever seen a sunrise, you're without excuse. If you've ever seen a sunset, if you've ever seen the birth of a child, if you've ever seen the miracles of everything around you, creation points to a creator. Design points to a designer. The only reason people choose to become atheists or agnostics is because they don't want God to be their God. They want it their way, okay? As I've always said, nobody's singing Sinatra's My Way in Heaven. It's not a heavenly song. Because every believer knows it's not my way, it's God's way. Amen? Verse 21. Again, although they had evidence of God around them, they knew God. They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claim to be wise, the fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and then using birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, again, you don't think that God answers unbelievers' prayer? Go away, God. Go away, God. Go away, God. Well, God answers the prayer by giving them over to their sinful desires and their hearts to sexual impurity. For the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a what? For a lie. And here it is. They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received them themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but they also Literally, cheer on those who practice them too. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? And where is Paul? Paul's got Corinth right in front of him as he writes those words. And so when you read about this, you know, it is important because everybody has an idea. And because, you know, it has been rather comfortable for people to be so-called casual Christians or, you know, I'm here and there a little while, there's going to come a day where, you know, if the world continues to go like it is, where it may cost you everything. Well, everything this life. And that's why Jesus himself said, what, what profits a man if he gains the whole world, but what? Forfeits, literally gives away his own soul for something that doesn't last. So Paul is calling the Corinthians on an issue that who they say they are, who they say they are, who they say they are, doesn't equate to how they live. Who they claim to follow doesn't equate in what's coming from their lives, okay? So Paul, let's, let's look at 1 Corinthians, we're going to start right there, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
who you are should equate to what you do. Because Paul's going to remind them of their calling in Christ, but there's also characteristics that come with the call, okay? So, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. Now, if you were like me, before I would go on, you'd want to know who in the world is Sosthenes. I know many of you have thought about naming a child after Sosthenes. It flows right off the tongue. But, but the way we find out who Sosthenes is, again, the Bible is the best commentary for the other parts of the Bible. And well you know by now, if you read the New Testament, authors' names are always put at the beginning of the letter. Unlike our letters, when we put who it's from at the end, but how many times have you started reading a letter and then you can't even wait and you kind of go, who in the world is writing me this? Well, you didn't have to do that with, with letters in, the, in biblical times because they always put their names right up front. All right? So Sosthenes, he appears in Acts 18, 17. The Bible's the best commentary to the other Bible. He was the leader of the synagogue in Corinth. And he got saved. And because he, he, got, he got saved. And so he ventured with Paul on some of his missionary journeys later. He actually joined Paul in Ephesus. So Corinthians knew who this man was. Does that make sense? Even though Sosthenes, who's Sosthenes, now you know that he at one time was a well-known leader in the, in the temple, in the, in the synagogue, excuse me, in the synagogue in Corinth, Okay. Verse 2 we read on. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and all kinds of knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day when Jesus comes back, on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. So here's question number one tonight. Are we sinners saved by grace acting like saints? Or are we saints saved by grace acting like sinners? I didn't say the same thing. There really was a different question there. Are we sinners saved by grace acting like saints? Or are we saints saved by grace, acting like sinners? I know when you hear the word saint, you, if you grew up like I did, I grew up Roman Catholic, there were, there were statues of saints, there were medals you could purchase. I used to wear a medal or two. I was kept looking for St. Rudy. He's not there. I don't know why. But, you know, uh, saints, yeah, explains a lot. Saints were part, matter of fact, if you grew up, in Roman Catholicism, not only did you revere saints, you, you could pray to saints and actually ask them to help you. Um, again, not going to go into all that tonight, but that's not the way God describes or defines saints. The word scripturally clearly does not refer to special people who've been canonized by a church council. Special people who are venerated by the number of masses or the kissing and burning candles. The term saint in the word of God is simply defined right there in verse 2. If you look at it, we'll begin examining it. To the church of God in Corinth. Whose church? It's God's church. To those, what's that word? Sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people together with those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Sanctified, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. 
The term saint there is used to define those sanctified, set apart. Ecclesia, called out from the crowd, set apart to become part of the body of Christ, to become part of the family of God. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord and is saved upon your calling upon his name, you become at salvation a saint. Yep, you heard her here right. We don't earn it. It's not because of our goodness. It's all because of his grace. You don't earn it. He won the honor for us. We don't live for it. We actually live because of it. And when we declare it, it doesn't point to who we are. It points to what? Who God is. I just get, you know, this week, you're meeting somebody for the first time. I dare you to introduce yourself as, hi, I'm St. Rudy, and you are? Seriously, it'll start a good conversation, won't it? Because right away, people say, oh, you think you're holier than everybody else because you're calling yourself a saint. As a matter of fact, it's not us holy people who call ourselves saints. It's those who know that there's no holiness in us apart from the touch of God. Can I get an amen? Without the grace of God, there is nothing good in me. But I've been made a saint. I've been justified. I've been made holy. I've been declared righteous because of Jesus Christ. That's why we sang earlier tonight, Hello, my name is what? No longer mud. My name is child of the one true king. Paul begins this portion by trying to remind the church this, if you're in Christ, and this is God's church, and you're in God's church, this is who you are. You are saints. By the declaration he is telling them, look at what Jesus has invested to get you to no longer be lost, no longer to be, you know, lonely, no longer to be, to be in the dark, but because of Jesus, he's now brought you from the dark to the light. So why would anybody who's already been made a saint want to go what? Wallow back in the dark. So I think there's a great purpose intended in Paul. I love how Paul's writing this letter. Sometimes we read these letters. But Paul's got a plan here. Matter of fact, the word saint is hagios, hagios. And it means holy one. We are holy because what? He is holy. And what is amazing about this is that 1 Corinthians, from really the first chapter in verse 10, clear on until it's finished, it does deal with how saints should be saints, how saints should be known, how saints should live, and how they should what? Not live or not be known. And if you could imagine, listen to me, if you could imagine the doctrinal error and the behavioral, you know, corruption in this church, I'm not sure I would have started out by saying, hey, you're saints. But Paul is not calling everybody saints. He's calling what? Those who, ever say this to your children, you should know better. If everybody's jumping off the roof, I love these things, you know. They never leave us, do us, do they? Are you going to jump too? I, and I would always give a smart aleck answer. And, but anyway, but anyway. What is so amazing that, that Paul, it's one of Paul's favorite words to call believers because he does it over 60 times in the letters that he writes. And we need to remember, see, again, the world wants to tell us who we are. People around us, oh, don't raise the standard. Don't be a goody goody. Come on, you're ruining everything. You're a party pooper. That's what the world says. And yet God is calling us to not be better than thou. It's not holier than thou. It's just to be real. Be authentic. I am a Christian. I am a saint. I am one who has been made holy before God. In the eyes of God, let this blow you away. When he looks at you tonight as a believer, he sees the holiness of Jesus. And that's grace, isn't it? He doesn't see what we see. I look in the mirror sometimes and I'm embarrassed of who I am. I'm ashamed of who I am. But when God... God says, I know who you were, but you're not that anymore. In, in my, you know, my standing, your standing is defined as holiness. And I like to say our behavior is defined as under construction. How's that? 
Don't you just love to say when somebody says, I thought you were a Christian, I thought Christians were perfect, and I always say, what world do you live in? I'm a Christian because I wasn't perfect. I'm a Christian because there's no way I could do what was right, even if I tried. And so, and so, and so, when we call ourselves this, it's not to puff up, puff us up, it's to, we give glory to who? Come on, we give glory to our God. And what Paul is saying, you guys, by your life, should be bringing glory to God, but you're not. How about us? How about us? Because sometimes kings don't act like kings. Presidents don't act like presidents. Leaders don't act like leaders. Teachers don't act like teachers. And sometimes pastors don't act like pastors. I wish I could tell you that, that you know, I never make a mistake. I... I've already seen that one of, the, one of the blessings of this cancer, there's a blessing in it, is that everywhere I go in Cape May County, they know of us. Even if they've never been here, I mean, I, I had a woman almost wreck my IV the other day. You're Pastor Rudy? I said, keep it, keep it, you know, stay focused. Which means this, you don't punch the clock. You don't say, well, I'm off right now. I'm, I'm now just, you know, regular sinful Joe. No. Because wherever you go, people will what? And, and if you're putting pressure on yourself to be perfect, that's the All I always pray is, Lord, when I make a mistake, and I do, give me the ability to apologize quickly. I've coached forever. Come on. I am a coach. And if I'm here to tell you that I can get verbal... I, you know, I, I'm not one who watches a ball game going, wasn't that nice? <laughs> have you ever, seriously, have you ever yelled at a ref or an umpire? You're blind! What are you doing out there? Right? I remember this one particular doubleheader. I was coaching Rudy's team. Many of you know Dennis Anderson. Dennis Anderson is just a dear man from the Wildwood Crest area. And I had both his sons on my team. And, and Dennis used to love to ride me. And so this one particular game, I mean, I can't lie to you. We weren't very good. So we didn't need any help from the umpire to make us even worse, if that makes sense. And I remember just saying, why don't you put on their uniform? You're playing for them anyway. Good grief, you know, like, look, we're trying here. And every call, well, you know, why don't you just put their hat on? And he said, you're out of here. Pastors get thrown out of baseball games. First I said, we were in Egg Harbor City. I said, Where am I supposed to go? I drove the bus. I mean, what do you want me to do? Leave them all here? And he just said, just get out of my sight. I'm just sick of looking at you. Just. So I walked up right field, took that long walk of shame, sat down next to Dennis, and he says, good job, Pastor Rudy. <laughs> and then we both laughed. During the... During the in between games of the doubleheader, of course, I walked up to the umpire and said, you know, I'm really sorry. That's, sometimes you get heated. Sometimes you get upset. You know, what's really sad is when we don't allow Christians to make mistakes. We, we, we put them on pedestals they shouldn't be on. And the most important thing, one of the signs you are a Christian is when you make a mistake, the Spirit of God convicts you. What do I mean by that? He starts getting on your heart saying, you know, you really shouldn't have done that. And so if you feel bad, sometimes feeling bad after what you've done is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. It means that the Spirit of God is there. And I've had to say I'm sorry many times. I'm sure I messed up with you at one time or another. But I, again, the point here is that, is that we don't try to be something we're not. We're allowing Jesus to use us as we are. And... Even though the Corinthians were holy and surely didn't act like it, we know they were saints because there is a difference between uh, sainthood and Catholicism versus sainthood in the Bible. What do we know about sainthood and Catholicism? What do all the saints have in common in Roman Catholicism? They're all dead, thank you. It's over. It's all said and done. But saints in the Bible, we're all still what? We're here. We're still here. And so there has to be a sense of, of challenge. Lord God, challenge me. Challenge me to become the holy person you have made it possible for me to be. 
And, and Paul is saying, you know what? He, he, he said it this way. You know, guys, let God do everything. You know, just being saved from past sins is not the full work of salvation. Being sanctified. My dad used to say, show him Jesus. I can't show him Jesus if Jesus isn't there. He who began the good work, Philippians 1, 6, Paul said, he's going to bring it to completion. So it's not up to me. It's just me being always available. Lord, mold me, make me, right? Have your own way, Lord, because sometimes I still get stuck in my way. And my way will not lead to your glory. So past, present, future, God, God's grace. God's grace is what drives the church. And God's truth is what anchors the church. Grace drives it, but truth anchors it. So in verse 4, in the past there's grace. In the present we have gifts. In the future there are guarantees. I like that. Grace, gifts, guarantees. Our past is already taken care of. Our present is provided for. And our future is a done deal. It's assured. So look at verse 4. I always thank my God for you because of what? His grace. God's grace given you in Christ Jesus. Do you know that grace cannot coexist with guilt? If you still feel guilty after knowing you've already been forgiving, that's not from God. That's not from God. That's the accuser, the enemy, who wants you still living as if you're in the dark. Grace admits that you need a Savior. Grace says, God, I know I can't, but I know you can. God didn't say this. Okay, you can have salvation, but one wrong move, buddy, and what? I'm taking it back. It's not the way it works, right? Just because people take advantage of that doesn't mean they're Christians or doesn't mean it's right. But the root of it is, is that we're not here because we're holy. We're not here because we're better. We're here because we've been saved by grace. Amen? And that not of ourselves. So grace is really what this world needs to see and hear. And if we're out there you know, acting, looking our nose down at people. How are they going to, I was you. I was a sinner. I was lost. Don't expect unbelievers to live like they've been saved by grace when they haven't. But how many believers won't give unbelievers grace because they think they need to earn it? You didn't. I didn't. Grace would not be grace if God said, I'll save you if you stop sinning. Because if we could stop sinning on our own, we wouldn't need grace. Amen? Grace is undeserved, permanent forgiveness. Grace can only operate where there is sin. If there is no sin, there's no need for being saved. And how many people, seriously... Have you ever met somebody who just won't admit that they sin? Oh, not me. I've had people stand in that very foyer bragging to me how they really couldn't come here because they're perfect. And you know, they did. They've, they've, they've looked in my eyes and said, well, I'm perfect. And I would say, I don't think so, but yeah. Here's how I used to do it. Have you ever done the have you ever done the witnessing, you know, using one of those little tools? You know, it's a little booklet, and it, and it has the, 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 the gospel in it, and you walk through it. And then there's this one picture where it says, sin has separated us from God. And it's got the stick figure on this side, and a big canyon. And then there's God on the other side. And the point is, is that there's no way on our own we can jump because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So just to warm things up, I would say, I would say, Okay, Marion, you see this little stick figure? We'll call it, we'll call her Marion. Now, let's start listing some of your sins. What, what, what are some of the sins that you know you have? Now, you don't have to answer. <laughs> but right away, I am telling them, you, nobody's exempt from, we're all one, come on. 
We don't brag about our sin. I hope we don't. But we are all in need of grace. And grace, when we live by grace, we start appreciating everything. All of the gifts that God has given us. Look what it says in verse 5. Grace opens our eyes to spiritual gifts which actually bring us closer to God and it also brings God closer to others. When you use your gift as it was meant to be given, not only are you brought closer to God, you're bringing God closer to everybody else. For in him, what's it say? In him you have been enriched. I like that word, circle it. Enriched in every way. With all kinds of speech and with all kind of knowledge. Salvation is a gift from God, but then when you're saved, and Paul's going to talk about this later in the letter, not only are you saved, you're enriched. You know what that word means? You become a billionaire. You're a plutocrat. You're treated like you're Mr. Mr. Mrs. Wealthola. You burn money to light the fire. That's the word there is that as Christians, we are no longer poor. We were poor, but now because of the Spirit of God living in us, we have been enriched. And don't just see this as possessions. Meaning this, everything you need to be a Christian, he's already given you. And not only is he giving you, he didn't buy it from the thrift store. You're not just given, you're given his very best. So why are you shopping at, at, at Sinomai, you know, here's Sinometer. Why are you shopping there when God has already provided everything you need? Let's just take a look. They're divided because they've got four different leaders. Some Apollos, some Peter, some Paul, some we only follow Jesus. Can you imagine, can you imagine if, who discipled you? Peter. Can you imagine the, you see, the Corinthians, you know how some people say, well, I'm not getting the word. I'm not getting fed where I'm going. You had Peter, you had Paul, you had Apollos. It ain't God's fault. <laughs> Why? Why aren't you getting fed there? Because you filled up on all the slop out there. That there's no room for God's spirit. You don't come to church hungry. You don't come holding, hanging on to his every word. Paul is saying, you, believers, come on people, we are so, how, you know that there are places on this planet where Christians are huddled over one little portion of scripture ripped out of a page and they have to protect it. They have to hide it because if they're found with it, they're dead. And how many Bibles do you have in your house? I'm not trying to make us feel guilty. I just want you to see that you're a whole lot better off than you think you are, spiritually speaking. Because on any given day, you can hear. You can hear Billy Graham. You can hear A.W. Tozer still preach. You can hear people that have been dead forever. And you can still hear them preach because the power of Google and the power of the Internet and the power of social media. And God is saying, there is no excuse. You should, be, you should be so much stronger by now. But you're not looking in the right places for your value. You're not looking in the right places for your identity. I've already given you an identity. There is really no excuse that there should be any illiterate Christians in America. But family, that number is growing all the time. And it's that, that's why I care so much that I want you to know the real deal. The Corinthians were securely established, verse 6, chapter 1, verse 6. Sinclair Ferguson said, thinking that I deserve heaven is a sure sign that I have no understanding of the gospel. Because a lot of people I talk to, they say, well, you know what? I think I've been pretty good. I, you know, I, didn't, I haven't killed anybody with an axe. You know, it's, I still cry when Charlie Brown's on television. The line is seen, gets me every time. Little house on the prairie, pass me the tissues. Verse 6, the Corinthians were what? Securely established. Established means 
made sure. Established means that their faith was authenticated. Established means that they were confirmed. It, was, it, it, it made it through the examination and Jesus is there. There's no doubt. Doesn't mean I'm perfect, doesn't mean I'm, but there's no doubt. There's evidence that Jesus has definitely come into my life. And in the New Testament, most of what 1 Corinthians is going to do is to see if you're in, in, the, in the faith, to establish it, to authenticate it. He doesn't want people thinking they're believers when they're really not. Cultural Christianity is worse than addiction. Because at least an addict knows that what? I need help. It's those who've grown up going to church. It's those who watch, you know, the Ten Commandments. I never miss them. It's those who go to church on Christmas and Easter only. Well, I check in twice a year. See, I know that those people are harder to reach than somebody who's never heard the name of Jesus. Why? Because they think they're in, and they're not. Because they've never surrendered their own heart to the Lord. And so their faith needs to be authenticated. It needs to be confirmed. It needs to be... Have you ever been a... Here's, here's how I thought about it. Several years ago when, when the Mets hosted the All-Star Game in New York at City Field, my brother and I went. I took my brother and I went. It was kind of an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond, only Everybody Loves Robert. But uh, we went, and there was this room. It was, so, it was packed. People were in line. They were all holding different, uh, some were holding gloves and bats. And what it was is that these individuals were from the Hall of Fame And they were there to officially authenticate whether their autograph or whether their signed object was really signed. Does that make sense? Because when you've got something that's officially authenticated from this group, it's worth big bucks. So there were three things they were looking for. There was examination, there was certification, and then there was verification. And some people went out holding their heads down because their item while it looked like Joe DiMaggio's autograph, it was probably Joe DiNuccio that signed it. You understand? <laughs> Somebody who's really good at forging. And I thought, Lord, what if, what if I, would I be willing, would I be gutsy enough to pass my faith through that kind of deal? Examination, certification, verification. Maybe that eighth grade confirmation I made wasn't a, a bad idea. Totally. Because maybe, maybe the more I know who Jesus is, and the more I know what Jesus says, and the more I know what Jesus wants, the more authentic my faith becomes. So here's your homework. Oh, homework. I'm going to jump to the end of the book. I get bored, so I jump right to the end. Let's go right to the end. 2 Corinthians 13. Right to the very end. I know some of you have done it too. You ever had a book report in high school and you, you read the beginning and you read the end. Don't ask me about the middle. I, have no, I don't know what Moby Dick happens in the middle. I'm serious. I only read the beginning and the end. Still got to see. I'm happy. Anyway, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Can you put it up there? Look what this, look what this says. Examine yourselves to see whether you're authenticated. To see whether you're verified. To see whether it's confirmed. Examine yourselves to see whether you're really in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, he's not in you. Which would mean you fail the test. I can't tell you whether Jesus is in you. There are a lot of good actors. We all play the part sometimes. Some of us can play the saint to a T. The only problem is it's not who we really are. And Christianity is who you really are. I want to read it to you in in another version. This is the amplified version of the Bible. It says, test and evaluate yourselves to see whether you're in the faith and living your lives has confirmed believers. Examine yourselves or do you not recognize this about yourselves by an ongoing experience that Jesus Christ is really in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test and are rejected as counterfeit. Anybody? I mean, I've sat through can testimonies. I've listened to testimonies of individuals who that night had us all in tears. Three weeks later, you don't know Jesus anymore in their life. They left Jesus like yesterday's habit. You understand what I'm saying? 
I'm not putting people down. I'm just saying, wake up. Anybody, I've, I've, I've gone to Amway meetings. My mother wanted me to sell it when I was in high school. I went to an Amway meeting. And everybody would say, whoa, Amway, changed my life. Oh, the power of Amway. Can I get an amen for Amway? And I said, that, that's exactly, but the same, the same language that's used sometimes in a church service was used in Amway. And yet, we all know that Amway is not going to save your soul. What am I trying to say here is that, is that, is that I so want people to understand we all need Jesus. And when I hear somebody say to me, I was born a Christian, I know right at that moment, I need to talk to that person. Because nobody was born a Christian. You become a Christian. That's why it's called being what? Born again. You might have been born in a really good home where Jesus was loved and celebrated, but every individual, whether you're watching or you're here, if you've never gone to the cross and said, I believe that you died for me, and I am willing to open up my heart because I believe in you, Lord. I don't believe everything about you yet because I'm still, I'm still learning. But I invite you in because I know that you're God and I'm not and I want my life to be used for you. If you've never said that to Jesus, what are you waiting for? Because there's no other way to know eternity and know the Father than through Jesus. And Jesus has made it very available, right? Some of you have heard the gospel every week of your entire life. And yet how many still what? That's nice, but I like what I'm doing. And God gave them over. See, that's an answer of prayer. God will give you what you ask for. I don't want you. That's what hell is. No God. That's why it's a miserable place. This is a miserable place and we do have God. Can you think of that misery? So here are here are things I want you to think about. Is your faith personal? Have you made the decision for Jesus? Is your faith public? Because when you love somebody, you can't help but hide it. You can't, help, you can't hide it. It comes out. Is your faith practical? I mean, Jesus, every day of my life, not just Sunday and Wednesday, every day. And is your faith permanent? When I close my eyes here, I know for sure, because of his grace and his promise, I'm going to be with him forever. See, church, that's the message that this world needs. That's the message that the Corinth church needed because there were many people who thought they were in and they were still out. Not because of who God was, but because of how they responded to the truth. So next week, I want us to pick it up right there but as we close tonight, that's the real tragedy of Corinth because, my goodness, you can't, you can't fault them for not having some really great preaching. They had Peter. They had Paul. They didn't just have one. They had them all. But that was no guarantee that they became believers. But God has called us, family. God has called every one of us. Many are called, but few choose to answer that call. And God, when he calls us, sets us apart, sanctifies us, makes us no longer a kingdom of this world, but a kingdom of heaven. He enriches us, gives us everything we need to encourage us and empower us to live holy lives. Let's pray. Lord, I, I don't want to be a cultural Christian because when the culture changes, so does faith. And the day that Christianity might mean ending up in prison, my fear is many people will run. I'm not asking for prison, Lord, but I want to make sure, like so many who've gone before me, that if it costs me everything, I'll obey. I don't want to be a casual Christian, Lord. I don't, I'm not trying to portray somebody who's perfect, but I want to be the real deal, Lord. And so 
if you've never made a commitment. We're not making a commitment to a movement, (laughs) but to the master himself. Who couldn't make it any clearer when he looked in the eyes of those and said, follow me, follow me, follow me. Who are you following tonight? If there's anybody here, Lord, who needs to make that decision to open their hearts to Jesus, I pray they would do that before they leave here tonight. Only by your spirit. And now as we go to your table, Lord, we're reminded what the gospel's really all about. It's not our body. Our body broken would not have won anything but you broke your body your body was broken on the cross for each and every one of us that because you were broken we can be fulfilled we can be healed we can we can live truly live and Jesus said when you when you do this do this in remembrance of what I've done for you so as we take the piece of this little bread this doesn't do anything magical in my stomach All it does is remind me of all the majesty in my heart because Jesus is there. Body of Christ. When supper was ended, make no mistake, Jesus knew what he was doing because he was hours away of being treated like a piece of meat. So salvation is not, while it is a free gift, it didn't come cheap. Everybody wants it easy. And if it's not comfortable, they want out. I'm here to tell you, I would never look in the eye of anybody and say, become a Christian, it's really easy. It might be easy to become a Christian, but there's been a lot of hammering along my journey. How about you? But I know the only reason I'm still here is because of the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of what he did. And because of what he did, we can become what we would never become without him. Amen. The blood of Christ shed for you. Let's take together. I gave you an invitation that if you'd like to talk to somebody about Jesus and whether, again, nobody's going to, we're not, we're not, this is not a heart, but my goodness, I can't make it any clearer. If you're not sure you know Jesus, then we've got some wonderful people over there who will talk to you and pray with you. And we're all going to stand, so you're not going to have to, you know, stand out. And, but let me tell you, let me tell you, after what Jesus did, for us, we're, gonna, we're not going to go because we might worry what other people think. Walk. Make that thing sure. Amen.